Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together as mishpacha, as family, to worship in your presence, to come together and, uh, and dive into your word as this opportunity to uh, worship as one, as a chad uh, before you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word spoken your voice heard, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you desire, that which you have already ordained and appointed for this purpose. And Father, may you breathe new life into us today as we look at your word. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen. So uh, this week we're in Parsha Bar, which comes from uh, Bar, or the, the book of Numbers, is the very first Parsha of the book of Numbers. Uh, the book of Numbers, uh, as I, I try to I like to give context and, uh, and kind of a picture of where we're at and what's going on as we go through the Torah cycle. Um, if you pay attention to the Torah as a whole, in Israel's journey, Israel's journey was 40 years, right? From the time they left Egypt to the time they actually go into the promised land, it was 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. Uh, approximately 38 years and some change is the book of Numbers. The book of Deuteronomy, we theorize as best we can tell from history and how things played out that in, the, in Deuteronomy, that the book of Deuteronomy takes up of maybe two weeks to as much as two months of Israel's 40-year journey to the promised land. And uh, Exodus Leviticus takes up uh, the, the rest of that first little bit. But 38 years plus of Israel's journey is just the book of Numbers. All right. So I, I tell you that because it's important for us as we dig into Scripture to really grasp what's going on and how things are happening. It's, it's not just a matter of context in chapter and paragraph. Uh, it's not just a matter of context in book, but context historically as well is vitally important. So at this point, when we open up the very first chapter of this Parsha, we see that it says that Israel was still at Mount Sinai. They were preparing to journey from Mount Sinai and make their way to the Promised Land. Now, they haven't yet gone to the Jordan River. They haven't yet sent spies over to uh, spy out the Promised Land. Or as the, the Complete Jewish Bible uses, it's my favorite part of the Complete Jewish Bible, is that they use the word reconnoiter uh, in, in the, uh, the, the passage of Israel sending spies in. I just think it's fun. I mean, you really don't get to use that, that word in, in conversation very often but we get to in numbers. Uh, so we haven't quite made it there. We haven't quite sent the spies in yet. We haven't quite turned our back on God's promise. And we haven't, after turning our back on God's promise, rushed back in anyways, separate from God leading us to try and take the land and lose a bunch of people. Uh, so as we're processing this, keep in mind that where we're at now, we've read Exodus, we've read Leviticus, we've seen all of this going on, but we're still only two years into Israel's journey in the promised land. And 38 years of that journey takes place just in this one book. Um, so it's important for us to grasp that. So the nation of Israel is at Mount Sinai. They're uh, finalizing the, the tent and the camps and how everything's going to be set up. The Lord is uh, diagramming to them how he wants everybody to camp and to travel and what's going to happen. And then we come to Numbers chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Numbers chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Adonai said to Moses and Aaron, saying, 
Let each man encamp under his own standard among the banners of their ancestral house at an appropriate distance around the tent of meetings. Those camping to the east toward the sunrise will be of the standard of Judah according to their divisions. Nachshon, son of Aminadav, uh, is the prince of the sons of Judah. His division by their numbers is 74,600. And then he goes on to talk about uh, Issachar and Zebulon, two other tribes that will uh, camp on the east side there with Judah. All those numbered to Judah's camp, which is speaking of all three tribes on the east side, uh, by their division total 186,400 people. Uh, and they are to advance first. So on the east side of the tabernacle, remember everything when we're talking of the camp of Israel, everything is centered around the tabernacle. There's a whole purpose of the Mishkan. The tabernacle was for God's presence to be in the midst of his people. So it's literally in the middle of the camp. And the nation as a whole is camping around the tabernacle itself. On the east side, which the east side was the entrance, right? If you pay attention to the way the tabernacle was described, the east side is where the entrance to the tabernacle is. So on the east side of the tabernacle is the tribe of Judah, along with the Sahar and Zebulon that make up the total three tribes on the east side. And Judah is right in the dead center of these three tribes. And then this is also the group that when the nation picks up and moves out as the presence of the Lord directs them, this is the group that leads the path and leads the march as they march on. We also notice as we move just a little bit further into uh, verse 33, it says, However, the Levites were not counted among B'nai Israel, just as Adonai commanded Moses. So B'nai Israel acted in accordance with all that Adonai commanded Moses. Thus they camped by their standards and set out each man according to their families and their ancestral houses. And we move just a little bit further again to verse, chapter 3, verse 40. It says, Adonai said to Moses, count every firstborn male uh, of B'nai Israel from one month old upward and make a list of their names. Uh, the, set the Levites apart uh, for me in place of all the firstborn of B'nai Israel and all the livestock of the Levites in place of the firstborn of the livestock of B'nai Israel. I am Adonai. So Moses counted all the firstborn of B'nai Israel as Adonai commanded him. The sum total of the firstborn males of B'nai Israel, one month old and upward listed by name, was 22,273. Uh, it's a lot of people, right? We get 600,000, give or take 603,000 men of Israel that are fighting age, 22,000 and change of those, 22,000 and a quarter of those are uh, firstborn. And they are going to exchange their lives, if you would, for the priesthood, for the, the Levitical order. Now, what's really interesting is we talked about Judah and where Judah would camp on the east side. And the east side is the entrance of the tabernacle. Now, in between the tabernacle, it says that the tribes were to camp a distance, a safe distance from the tabernacle. Why a safe distance? Specifically because the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. And the nation as a whole was sinful. As a whole, each of us bought by the blood of the Lamb are still sinful. And we still need to be cleansed by Messiah on a regular basis. As and so it's... Wireless signals, got to love them. Uh, so as we look at the nation of Israel and we look at their... We see that the tribe of Judah is on the east side. There's the safe distance. And what's in between the safe distance? This Parsha, it tells us specifically that in this quote-unquote between the tribes and the nation is going to be the Levites, right? And the Levites, the, the Levites, this thing's hating me today. The, just in case it doesn't behave itself, we will have this also. The three tribes, uh, the three clans, if you would, of the tribe of uh, Levi uh, camp around the south side, 
the west side and the north side. On the east side of the tabernacle is actually going to be uh, just inside of where Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon are, are going to be Aaron, Moses, and Aaron's children, Aaron's sons, who make up the Kohanim, the priesthood, right? Uh, and so it's really important that we see this because the nation has to camp at a safe distance, and then within that safe distance is the priesthood who serves as almost a barrier between the nation as a whole and the tabernacle where the presence of God goes. And only the Kohanim, the priesthood, could go into the tabernacle in the first place, uh, or particularly into the Holy of Holies, rather, where the presence of God was. And so as we have the Aaronic order, Moses and, and Aaron and his children camping right outside the east side of the tabernacle, which is where the entrance is, they serve as a barrier to Judah and the tribes of Judah, uh, Issachar, and Zebulon, who are on the east side of the tabernacle. Uh, right there, and we look at the fact that this is where the entrance of the tabernacle is. We look at the fact that this is where God has provided kind of this barrier, this protection, if you would, for the nation of Israel, for the tribe of Israel. I really need to be able to move my hands to talk. I'm Jewish. Uh, we, we, we tie our hands down. We can't talk. Our mouths don't work. Um, so as we look at this, we see this uh, kind of pattern around the tabernacle of the way that it's established and the way that they move out. And they actually move out with the tabernacle itself kind of in the middle of the presence of God leading them uh, throughout the wilderness. It's not going to work with me being able to move both hands either way. Uh, we have the presence of God leading Israel around, the wilderness, around their, their journeys through the wilderness as they move through. And it's really interesting to see all of this go on because we see that God has provided, if you would, this barrier so that his presence doesn't consume the people of Israel as it, as it did Nadab and Abihu. And they're even mentioned in this Parsha at the beginning of talking about the Levites. Um, but what I think is most interesting about all of this is that we look at the two that are sitting right on the east side. Right? We had the Aaronic Order. And we had the, the, uh, the, the tribe of Judah. These are very important because the Aaronic order is where we get the priesthood from. The tribe of Judah is where we get the kingship, the, uh, the Davidic lineage of kingship for the nation of Israel as we progress through Israel's history into the promised land. And it's really awesome to look at how this all plays out because both the Aaronic order, the priesthood itself, and the Davidic kingdom or the tribe of Judah brings us to Mashiach as our priest and our king, as we talk about in our Torah service. And then we have this really neat thing that we just read about here, this kind of arbitrary discussion of the redemption of the firstborn. Anybody know why the firstborn had to be redeemed in the first place? It's because of the fact that we had the, the golden calf, the, the sin of the golden calf. Uh, the, the Lord, uh, before the golden calf, it was God's intention for the firstborn to be the priesthood of their household, to be the priesthood of the nation of Israel. And so when the nation of Israel sinned at the, uh, the golden calf, it was actually the Levitic, Levitical tribes that didn't take part in that. And not only did they not take part, except for Aaron, Aaron made the thing, but not only did they not take part in it, but when Moses came down and said, all right, uh, I want uh, those that are not joining in with this to separate themselves off, and then we're going to go through and slaughter a bunch of people because of what they did. A horrible way to describe it. That's kind of how it went. Uh, it was the Levitical order. It was the, the, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical tribe that was set apart as righteous in this particular situation. And it was the Levites that the Lord used to go and correct the crisis or the situation among Israel. And so as we look at all of this, we see that there's this neat connection here between the priesthood 
and the rest of Israel, or the Levites, and specifically in the rest of Israel, because God had intended the firstborn to be the priest of the household and ultimately the priest of the nation, right? In most of our families, it's the firstborn child who kind of takes over as the patriarch of the family. When the patriarch leaves the family uh, through, through death or what have you, it's the firstborn that usually takes on that role as the patriarch in the family, and the same was intended for the nation of Israel. But much like uh, everything else that we do as humans, we jack things up. And so that's exactly what we did. We messed it up. We messed up the situation with the golden calf. And so the Lord recognizes the Levites and the fact that they were faithful to him in this situation. And in Numbers chapter 3, we see this redemption of the firstborn in which God redeemed the firstborn, the, those that were supposed to be the priests of their household. He redeems the firstborn with the Levitical tribe itself. Uh, and then there's a, a few thousand that are left that weren't, quote unquote, redeemed. There, there weren't quite enough Levites to cover all the firstborn. So by lot, in other words, by random selection, those that were left that didn't have a redemption by the priests uh, or by the Levites had to pay for their redemption by money. And then from there out, everyone else had to buy their redemption. Uh, and it specifically tells us how much that redemption was. When we look at this, what we see is that there's this really interesting facet of discussion that's going on because we see the, the tribes and the placement around the camps and we see the redemption of the firstborn and that the firstborn was supposed to be the priest and they had to be redeemed by the priest and so on and so forth. But then we move forward to the reality of the bracha or the renewed covenant, the new covenant of Messiah Yeshua. We recognize that what we see in the Tanakh is this kind of... Um, uh, progression from the masses to a singular. So we had 70 nations. We went down to one nation to be an example to the 70 nations. Out of that one nation, we continue to go smaller down to the priesthood, who's an example to the nation, who's an example to the greater nation. And then as we move forward to the Brecha it begins to fan back out again in the direction God had originally intended as he corrects not what was wrong with his word because there was never anything wrong with his word. He corrects what was wrong with our hearts and our ability to honor his word. And so whereas the firstborn were intended to be the priests of the families and so on and so forth, that wasn't possible because of our actions and our sins, and we continue to bring that down until we have a priesthood for the nation as a whole, and then the, the blood atonement of Messiah comes and brings a cleansing and a redemption and an opportunity for it to fan back out to where each and every person who comes into the commonwealth of Israel gets to be a part of the priesthood and the order of Yeshua, not a priest in the order of the Aaronic order because there's an eternal covenant with Aaron and his sons that cannot be broken just as there's an eternal covenant with the nation of Israel that cannot be broken just as there was a covenant with David that cannot be broken just as there is a covenant with you and I as believers in Messiah that is eternal and cannot be broken. But we are brought into the priesthood just as the firstborn were intended to, to be. We are brought into the priesthood through the blood of Tom and Messiah, the priesthood in the order of Malchizedek, the priesthood of Yeshua himself. And so we see the, the way that this links together is this idea of the firstborn having to be redeemed by the Levites so that we can be redeemed by a greater priest, that was an example of what would happen through Messiah's work. It was a foreshadowing of what would happen through Messiah's work so that we could be redeemed to be brought back into this priesthood where we can interact with the presence of God as was intended. And like we've said before, you had the tabernacle that was God putting his presence in the midst of the people of Israel, even though his intention was really that we dwelled in his presence as we see in the garden. 
And because of our sin, instead he put his presence in the midst of the people and limited those that could come in and interact with his presence. And what he's done through Messiah is made it a way that we could come back into his presence again so that ultimately we can be in his presence for eternity as was intended in the Garden of Eden in the first place. And so what we see here with the tabernacle and the camps around Israel is there's this barrier, if you would, of the, the Levites that protects Israel from the presence of God should there be any sin in their lives so that they are not uh, consumed by the fire of God like Nadab and Abihu were. But this was never God's intention. He never wanted to separate anyone from his presence. He never wanted to separate anyone from receiving from him, from his love, from his compassion. We chose that separation, and we created the necessity for a barrier, for a force field, if you would, between us and the presence of God. And God has spent every waking moment of time since Adam and Eve sinned, bringing us to a place where we can be restored, where we don't need that barrier between us and him anymore. See, we needed the priest to go into the Holy of Holies to intercede on our behalf, but now we don't need that because now we have our Messiah who not only resides within us, who is not only a high priest in a greater order than that of the Aaronic order, but he is a high priest eternally performing, who has performed a sacrifice that is the eternal sacrifice, and he is interceding eternally for us, not just in some distant place, but he's a part of who we are. And so we have this reunification with the desire and the goal of what God had originally intended for us in the first place, which is to be able to experience and encounter his presence without having to have somebody else do that for us and come back and tell us what he said. Remember at Sinai, where, uh, and we're going to talk more about it uh, as we move into our reading, our Torah reading all night long. At Sinai, the nation of Israel heard the voice of God, which is what God wanted, right? He didn't want to stop at Ten Commandments of the nation heard. He wanted the nation to hear everything he had to say. But we were scared of him. We were scared of his presence. We were scared of his bat We were scared of what was happening around us. And we said, Moses, we can't do it anymore. If we hear his voice, even another word from him, we will die. You go up. You get everything that he says. Bring it to us. And everything he says through you, we will do. Right? So a lot of times in the body of Messiah, we look at just the Ten Commandments. We're like, oh, this is all that matters. It's just ten. That's all Israel heard. So that's all that matters. But what really mattered was God wanted us to hear everything, and we shut him down. Just like in the garden, God wanted us to experience his presence for eternity, and we shut him down. Just like when we go to the promised land in just a few chapters, when we're, we're preparing to go into the promised land finally and cross the Jordan, God's promises are there and ready for us to take, ready for us to walk into, and we shut him down. Just like with the golden calf, as we said, Moses, go up and get the words and everything that God says through you will do, and Moses is up doing exactly what we asked him to do, and we shut God down again with the golden calf. Just like you and I over and over and over again in our lives make poor decisions. We put ourselves in bad circumstances. We place ourselves in situations that are going to lead to nothing but turmoil. And we shut God down. And God all the while, just as he was with Israel, just as he has been with us, all the while standing there saying, look, I've shown you this pattern of how I want to bring you back into my presence. And I want you to understand now, even though yet again you've walked away from me, even though yet again you've turned your back on me, even though yet again you've told me if you hear me again, you're going to die, I want you to know that I am here waiting. And I want you to come back into my presence. I think it's really interesting as we look at those that camped on the east being the priesthood, the, the Aaronic order, and the, the tribe of Judah, and then we move to Hebrews and we recognize that not only was he as Yeshua, our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah in the order of David, 
but he's also our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And Hebrews says he's not only a greater high priest, a high priest of a greater covenant, but he's a high priest who operates in a greater covenant with us. Not one that undoes or eliminates or replaces the previous covenant, but one that restores us to the ability of actually honoring the previous covenant. Because the reality is, is that you and I could never obey the Torah. We can never honor God's word from Genesis to Revelation at all on our own. And if we could, we wouldn't have needed a Messiah. If we could, we never would have left the garden. Right? We had two commands in the garden. We couldn't get that right. But what ended up happening is, is that God gave us a way that we could be restored so that through Messiah, who is the word made flesh, and through his Ruach residing within us that inspired the words of, his, uh, of the scripture in the first place, we're restored to a way that we can actually honor and obey the covenant with our, with our Lord in a way that could have never done, been done before. Not one that's done on the outside, but one that's led by the inside. Messiah resides on the inside, and through the inside, through our hearts, everything else falls in place. And so when we look at Hebrews, and Yeshua is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, but he's also our, our king in the lineage of David, what we realize is that David was of the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah not only led Israel uh, in preparation for what would come as the, the kingship authority of Israel, they led Israel in their journey in the wilderness, but not only that, right next to them was the Aaronic priesthood. So the tribe of Judah couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Only the Aaronic priesthood could. Only the high priesthood, priest could. But they were camped right next to the priesthood. They were camped right next to where the high priest would live and where they would uh, uh, go forward into on Yom Kippur, leaving from there into the Holy of Holies. But what we see is Messiah who would have camped in the tribe of Judah as our Melech Mashiach, as our King Messiah actually steps over the line and takes on the role of the high priest. And not only does he take on the role of the high priest, but as our Melech Mashiach becomes our Kohen Gadol, and goes into the Holy of Holies, not on earth, but the one in heaven. Making a way that you and I could then go into the Holy of Holies. Because if you remember when Yeshua died, what happened to the perchet, to the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple? It was torn in two. Making a way that all could experience the presence of God. By the way, it's interesting that there was never uh, in the second temple, the, the Ark of the Covenant was never in the second temple. It never came back. So when that curtain tore... The reason why, like, nobody died because of it was because of the fact that there wasn't the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelled in, in the first place, in that second temple. So God had already, through the destruction of the first temple, the removal of the Ark of the Covenant, God had already made a way by which we could see this imagery of what God was doing and making a way for us to get into the Holy of Holies as individuals who are not of the Aaronic Order. And so what we see in this week's Parsha is this laying out of the camps of Israel and how things were going to happen as they journeyed. But we see this greater image of our Messiah, our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah, who steps out of the tribe of Judah into the Aaronic pre or into the priesthood role and steps into the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies in heaven. So that we, who were intended to be part of God's priesthood in the first place, but chose to separate ourselves from that, needing a mediator in our stead and in our place, we are now able, through the blood atonement of Messiah who made that trek for us, we're now able to go into the Holy of Holies with him. We're now able to experience his presence, not in some building, some tent, some far off distance. We don't need a barrier of priests and Levites around the tabernacle to protect us, but instead we get to boldly, as Hebrew says, go into the throne room of God. 
we are able to boldly enter to the Holy of Holies, not by anything that we've done, but solely by the work of Messiah, solely by what he has done. And just as the nation of Israel had to have the firstborn redeemed by the priesthood, we have been redeemed by the priesthood work of Messiah and now are restored back to what we were intended to be as firstborn. We are able to go back in. It's interesting that when the nation of Israel crosses into the promised land and begins to establish their uh, inheritance within the land, that the, uh, all of the tribes are kind of scattered around the nation in a way relatively similar to how they were camped in the wilderness, with exception of two. One is the Levites and the priesthood, the Aaronic order, who had places within uh, the tribes of Israel that they had land that they were able to live on and farm on and so on, but they didn't actually own anything. And then the other was Judah. Judah actually was placed by God as their eternal inheritance in the land of Israel, kind of in the middle of Israel. And they were uh, in and around Jerusalem, which is where the divinic throne, the throne of the king of Israel would be established. It's ultimately where the temple would be built and rebuilt. It is ultimately where Messiah, who is in the lineage of David, who is our Melech Mashiach, who steps into that role as our Kohen Gadol in the order of Malchizedek, would come from. And so God, even as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, even as Israel steps into the promised land and into the promises of God, begins to establish not only what he wants Israel to do, but his plan for the nation of Israel that would bring about the work of salvation for everyone. Not just Israel, but Israel and the nations. Because Messiah comes as a lineage of David, as part of the tribe of Judah. He resides in, uh, or ministers within Jerusalem. He's actually residing outside of Jerusalem, but he ministered within Jerusalem. He died within Jerusalem. He was buried around Jerusalem. And then he ascends from Jerusalem and he will re uh, uh, come back. Re, he'll descend. That's the word, resend. He'll descend. We don't want him to resend. That would be bad. We want him to descend back again into Jerusalem onto the Mount of Olives in which the Mount of Olives was split in two as his feet touch and so on. And it's really interesting to see how God had played all of this out, not just in establishing prophetically the tribes and how they would camp and journey, but even in developing the tribal inheritance of the nation of Israel. That God had established prophetically everything that would be necessary for his plan to come true and to come about so that we could be redeemed and restored by the blood of the Lamb to be priests in our own right, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, that we could be priests in our own right so that we can enter into the presence of God in a mighty and powerful way, separate from a mediator doing so for us, but being able to do so on our own because our mediator has already come eternal as Messiah Yeshua. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. That's awesome to see, and it, it, it's it's really, if you look at a map of the nation of Israel uh, as they camped, if you look at kind of how it's, it's laid out, a, a diagram of the camps of Israel, it's really interesting to watch how this all plays out. And it's neat to see that uh, as God began to establish the roles and the purposes and what each of the tribes would do, that Judah ended up inheriting the firstborn right of being the patriarchal leadership, if you would, of the nation of Israel, even though they weren't the firstborn. Judah wasn't the secondborn. He wasn't the thirdborn. He was the fourthborn of the, the tribes of Israel. And he got to take on the patriarchal ruling leadership role of the firstborn. And then the priesthood, you remember how he said the firstborn was intended to be the priest of the household? 
Well, the firstborn didn't get that, and the secondborn didn't get that. Who did? Levi did, the thirdborn. So the firstborn rights of the nation of Israel, of the sons of Israel, were split because of the actions of the two. The first and secondborn was split between the Levites and the, uh, the, the, the uh, tribe of Judah. And so as we look at this, we see God preparing the way, and he was planning all of this out, and he was laying it out in a fashion that prophetically would bring us about to Messiah, fulfilling both roles, the role of the kingship authority of Judah and the role of the priesthood authority of Aaron, of the Levites, so that you and I could be restored to the priesthood authority that was intended for us in the blood atonement of Messiah, in the spirit of God. As we read in uh, God's promise to Israel in Exodus when he said, I would make you a priestly nation, and Deuteronomy, the same thing. And then we read it in Second in First Peter 2, 9, that God says, through Messiah, now we are a nation of Kohanim, a nation of priests. You and I get to operate in a similar role to that of the Aaronic water. As we mediate for those that need salvation, for those that need healing, for those that need a work of God in their lives, as we see Messiah mediate for us through his blood, allowing for us to be restored into the presence of God for all eternity, as we get to experience what God is doing through us. And he has uniquely positioned each and every one of us, just as he uniquely positioned the tribes of Israel. And we can go through all of the tribes of Israel and the way they were camped, and there's something prophetic to each one and how they led Israel and where they went and where their position was. And it's really powerful to see what God did. And just in the same sense, he has uniquely positioned and equipped each and every one of us to fulfill our role in the priesthood lineage of Yeshua in the world that he's placed us in. He has given us talents, gifts, and purposes through his spirit and through his creation so that we can singularly and uniquely fulfill the calling God has given us to impact the world around us for his good news, for his besorah, for his gospel, so that many would come to know the truth of his salvation. Remember, it was never intended just for Israel. It was intended for all of the nations through Israel. And in the same sense, we now have the opportunity to be a part of that both Jew and non-Jew alike coming together as one in the blood atonement of Messiah. That's an exciting reality to think about. It's an exciting thing to think about even as we roll into Shavuot this evening and we get to commemorate and memorialize the giving of the Torah. We get to recognize the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts 2 on an annual event. But each and every day we get to interact with what both of those means in our lives because of the blood atonement of Messiah, because of the work of our Melech Mashiach from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David who crossed over the line into the priesthood role and made a way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies with him. That's an exciting thing to think about and that he has given each of us the opportunity to take part in that to lead others to him through the work of Messiah in our lives through the leading of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit in our lives. So I want to encourage you today as we prepare to leave this place, and hopefully many, if not all of you, will come back this evening for our Shavuot worship service and uh, all-night Torah reading. But as we prepare to leave here the, today, as we prepare to go home, and uh, likely most of us take naps to recuperate whatever energy we can before we spend all night reading from the Torah, I want to encourage you as you leave this place to go back and to take the time to process what God is saying here in this Parsha. Take the time to process exactly what Messiah has done for us as he made a way for you and I to become a part of that priesthood and the order of Malchizedek and the order of Yeshua so that we can be used by him to lead others to Messiah. I think far too often we, we as individuals in the body of Messiah look to 
other roles like the pastor or the rabbi, like the missionary, like the evangelist, what have you. We look at these other roles and say it's their job. Just like it was the priest's job, it's their job to lead people to redemption. It's their job to lead people. But the reality is, is it's not. It's our job. The Great Commission was one given to all believers, not just a segment of the body of Messiah. And the only reason we have the ability to operate in the reality of the Great Commission is because of the work of our high priest and our Messiah, our Melech Mashiach, our King Messiah. It's the only reason we have this ability to do so. And it's important that we understand exactly what he did and why so that we can operate in the calling he has given us to see countless others come to salvation through our lives. Countless others find healing and wholeness through our lives and through what he has done in us. He has given each and every one of us a unique testimony that we can share to others that will impact their lives in ways that maybe the person next to us never could. But a lot of times we clam up and we think it's somebody else's job or, or we do we run from God's calling as opposed to doing what he really wants us to do. But remember that he stepped over that line and went into the Holy of Holies specifically so that you and I could operate in the way that he has called us to do so, so that we can impact the world around us for the good of his gospel. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God, that you are a caring God, that you are a loving God, that uh, your mercy, your love, and your grace did not begin with Matthew, but it began with the foundations of creation itself. We thank you, Lord, that throughout your word, you give us this overarching narrative of redemption and restoration, bringing us to that very work of Messiah so that we can be restored to you being able to enter into your throne room, your holy of holies, and experience your might, your power, and your presence in our lives day in and day out. Father, I thank you that you continue to give us these prophetic revelations through your word of what you were doing through Israel and what it means in the future promise of Messiah and the work that he has done and what he will do when he comes back. And Father, I pray that as we continue to roll through this year's Torah cycle and as we begin to prepare for next year's, that you will continue day in and day out to reveal the reality of your word as a living, breathing entity in our lives, breathing your faith, your hope, your love constantly that we can move forward in your, in your salvation and your Holy Spirit to impact those around us for your word, for your name, for your good news, and for your kingdom. In the name of Messiah we pray. Amen.